Guys, we won a game. USF football won a game. How it's about it? Woo! Oh, college football! College football is back. The Bulls are 1-0. The worst-case scenario doesn't happen. We will never go defeated in a season, at least in 2020. What a relief. Welcome to the Blue Night Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Alongside me is Robert Steig, Seth Varnador, and our podcast producer, Anthony Vito. Uh, it, it's been a while since we've, we've had a, a Victory Tuesday. Uh, I, I'm a little unsure of uh, what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, I guess that's that's what's important. It, it's, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty nice. Um, just real quick, uh, you know, want to plug our our website dailystampede.com. Follow us on Twitter at StampedeSBN. Follow our Instagram at uh, the Daily Stampede. Uh, pretty great, uh, you know, Photoshop picture that Jamie put together for us uh, as we get into this week as we're on to Notre Dame. Uh, but first, let's, you know, recap uh, the, the win over the Citadel on Saturday night. Seth and I were there. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, strange being with no, no fans in the stands, you know, pumped in crowd. I don't know how it translated on TV. We'll get into that. But yeah, it was fun. Let's uh, real quickly. It's uh, the first win in 322 days for you, you, you for your USF Bulls. I just briefly wanted to look up some things that happened 322 days ago. Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, was the number one movie in America. Truth Hurts by Lizzo was the number one song. And Tom Brady was still a New England Patriot, folks. And we weren't wow. in the middle of the pandemic, so there's also that. A lot can change in 322 days. But here we are. Let's get into it. USF beats Citadel 27-6. to And, uh, you know, it wasn't particularly close after that first quarter. Bulls rack up 404 total yards of offense, 302 on the ground. The first game over 300 yards rushing since 322 days ago, ironically enough, uh, against that ECU team up in, in Greenville where uh, just everyone had – the best day of their life. Uh, it was also a watch party for the Bulls, so for, for us, so it was nice. Kelly Joyner led the way, uh, eight carries, 87 yards in his first career touchdown. Antonio Greer, I think, Seth, you were kind of on this with, along with uh, Dwayne Bulls, just a, a duo of linebackers that are they made pop this year. Ten tackles, AAC honor roll, he had a forced fumble, and he's, he's registered 10-plus tackles in three of the last four games that he's played in. Uh, dating back to the Cincinnati game last year. What, you know, we'll get into, you know, the people we missed here in a minute, but, you know, what was the, I'll go around the room, started with Seth, you know, what was the key to the, the win for the Bulls on Saturday? Well, I, I thought, I mean, the, I think the easy answer is how well the defense played. And it, it kind of, that kind of translated to the rest of the game because the defense played so well, it made the field position battle a little easier they had a lot of three and outs in the second half after initially starting a little slow, but once they got it figured out, they totally made Citadel get away from their triple option stuff and make them get into some different looks that aren't quite, aren't going to hurt you quite as much. And they did some interesting stuff, which we'll go over in the film room coming up later this week about how they did that. They did some interesting things on defense, but I just thought the way they were able to kind of neuter the triple option attack was, was a great sight to see if you're a USF fan. 
It's Steve, what what uh, what kind of uh, what was the key for you? You know, outside of you know how well the defense played. Yeah, and and to add on to that, I, I thought the defensive line played absolutely amazing. Triple option is kind of weird in the sense that your big contributing guys don't usually pop out on the stat sheet, but the consistent pressure and the consistent penetration by the entire collective defensive front uh, was just very pleasant to see. Yeah, I mean, Citadel's an FCS team. We should probably be doing that, but. I mean, I, we were all kind of pretty worried about what this brand new defensive line was going to look like. Um, you know, not much returning offensively. I, I thought our offensive line played staggeringly well, despite ha- not having those three starters. I was really, really impressed by Dustin Hall. I, I talked to, I talked him up a lot last year. Um, I thought he should have been one of those offensive linemen who should have gotten at least a little bit of playing time. But for him to step in at, at play center, uh, replacing Brad Cecil, who was out for or was unavailable for the game. Um, I thought he played extremely well. He was very aggressive on, on their front and didn't see him let up too much time. But that offensive line, I give credit where credit's due. They played well. They left lanes open. And they kept the quarterbacks relatively clean uh, throughout the night. Nothing really too deep passing or anything like that. So they didn't really have to have too much time in the pocket. But I thought I thought the offensive line was pretty much the highlight for me there. Yeah, I think that was you know the key takeaway uh, for me as well there, Steve. Uh, you know, prior to the game, we get you know notification that three starters plus their top backup unavailable for the game. I did not see them on the sideline. I, I don't want to speculate, but I didn't see them on the sideline compared to uh, Kevin Kegler, who I did, who was unavailable but was on the sideline. So you know, draw from that what you will. If there's, it was really nice to see those young guys with what, three freshmen, I believe, or at least two freshmen and a, a junior that hasn't played much. Um, <clears throat> that was that was really key to, to see them step up and, you know, be able to run the ball as well as they did. You know, 7.7 yards per carry was huge. Seven different rushers, you know, uh, Kelly Joyner, Noah Johnson, and uh, Johnny Ford all over, uh, you know, 45 yards. Uh, I think Johnny ended up with like 71 Noah had 49 and a fantastic touchdown run uh, that was set up off what Seth kind of dubbed the, the new age triple option that I believe he's going to be breaking down later this week. That was that was really key and, and, and inspiring and, and hope you know hopeful that this offense you know finds you know more depth pieces, more people who can contribute on a consistent basis. So you know when when a Donovan Jennings or a Brad Cecil goes out, there's someone in there to step in and, and and contribute. And that was not the case maybe last year, or the year before. That's that's kind of what brought my attention. And then again, that defense was just phenomenal at stopping that triple option. Jeff Scott said in this his post game presser, you know once. Once they were able to stop the dive and force them to go sideline to sideline, he knew the athleticism of the USF defense would take over, and that's what happened. You know, outside of the the reverse from the the wide receiver uh, Riley, I can't even remember his name now. You know, I'm on to the I'm on to Notre Dame. Yeah, Riley Webb. I'm on to Notre Dame now. I can't even remember his name. But um, outside of that 41 yarder, they didn't really do much. Um, you know, in the second half, they didn't have any chunk yards on the ground. That's 10 yards or more on the ground. They didn't have anything in the second half. I think they totaled 80, 81 yards in the second half of total offense, four of 18 throwing. I mean, this was a phenomenal job and it's tough. You know, Seth, I want to ask you this, you know, before we get into Notre Dame, what can you take from last week's game that, is there anything that translates 
to, you know, a more conventional offense because it's a completely different scheme, technique, play style, playing against triple option. It is, you know, playing against the, you know, an Ian book who, you know, can uh, toss the pill a little bit. I would guess there's still going to be odd front, um, even against Notre Dame would be my guess. And I think the personnel may say the same. Uh, what they were doing is they were basically playing three safeties. They used that, um, well, they were calling a star. They were using him as a like middle safety, and I think they were playing like a a two robber coverage to let him be flat footed and come downhill. But I I think the aggressiveness and the they didn't just play, you know, for for not having played it a bunch. And now I was talking to um, what's funny is I was talking to my brother after the game, and he was a student coach at Carson Newman, which is known for running the split back veer, former triple option, a D- division two power. Uh, he said when he was there or shortly thereafter that Joey King, who's a Titans coach, was a quarterback at Carson Newman. I wish you'd have told me that before the game because that would have given me a little insight into it. So they had some guys on staff that knew the option well. And the way they played it wasn't conventional. They played it, uh, they used their personnel well, did a few different things schematically that were interesting. But I think, I think the aggressiveness is going to translate, and I think the personnel is probably going to remain the same. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball, it's hard to tell because it's hard to know how much they showed. If they showed a lot, then it's a little concerning. But if they didn't show much, which I don't think they did, um, then it's, it's hard to kind of see what's going to happen next week. I think the defense uh, that they see next week will be similar to the one they saw at least schematically uh, last week. So, yeah, And, you know, to, to kind of wrap up the, the positive notes before we, we kind of go to what maybe needs some work going into this week, Five penalties for 50 yards as a team. That's just well below the USF average over the last three years under <clears throat> former head coach Charlie Strong. And that that was a huge factor for success. You know, not shooting yourself in the foot with a you know new system, three new offense alignment. That that was huge to see. And then, you know, no turnovers on a wet, windy night. Um, Seth can attest. I mean, those flags were were whipping pretty much the entire night, drizzling, wet, and and being able to secure the ball. And, you know, on the flip side of that, the, the defense creating turnovers, forcing fumbles. Tony Greer with the forced fumble, Mike Hampton pops on it. Brock Nichols, who if you look at his picture on the website, it looks like an absolute madman. And he shows up as a, a special teams gunner and recovers a fumble on a muff punt. Those are the kind of things that you need to continually, you know, do and, and show success uh, with as we get deeper into the season. And again, just keep getting one, you know, get better each and every day. And that's, it seems like that's what we're, we're heading toward. You know, is there something that we may want to pinpoint as something that we want to improve upon, you know, going into next week, you know, it's always, you improve the most from week one to week two. What are, what would you be looking for, Seth, to improve on as we go into Notre Dame? Uh, I think you're hoping to have some more explosiveness in the passing game. You ended up completing, I think, 18. I think it went 18 to 25 for uh, just 100-plus yards. It wasn't a lot of yardage. A lot of short throws, quick throws. Not And so that's why I'm a little worried about the lack of explosiveness in the passing game and a little bit with the lack of separation from the receivers to the Citadel defensive backs. There wasn't a bunch of guys just blowing by those dudes. A lot of the the two biggest plays of the night were both back shoulder fades where the corner was draped all over the receiver. 
So that's a little worrying, but again, I don't know how much they're showing because it was pretty vanilla uh, in the passing game. So it could be, they could be holding stuff back. So I'm kind of reserving judgment to see um, after this week, if they probably, I'm assuming they're going to break some stuff out that they didn't show this last week. So that could fix itself, but that's one thing I'm a little wary of going forward is just how little they were able to do. I mean, they didn't even attempt a lot of explosive passes, which again, could be in the game plan, but that's my one kind of worry going forward. And to your point there, I think Jordan McLeod started uh, eight of 10 on, on Saturday night and then finished the game uh, three of six for negative three yards. His, his three final three completions all went for negative one yard. And I believe uh Travis Marsh kind of ended up the, the same route. Um, you know, he, he started pretty well. Yeah, so he started pretty well. You know, he was four, four for five, but his final two uh, completions went for negative 13 yards. So, they, you know, I think they were trying to go a little bit more horizontal, trying trying to get the speed uh, out in space, and it just it didn't quite work because they hadn't hit on the long ball, so they, they're not sitting on it. And, you know, the, the one shot that USF had, it looked to me from, from the press box that Amari and Dallison got kind of tangled up, pushed, what have you, uh, on a nice little you know post route that would have gone for six if there was, uh, you know, no impediment. Um, I'm going to have to watch that back before I have final judgment, but I'm pretty sure that would have been a, a nice little touchdown uh, from McLeod. You know, let's... Let's uh, kind of move on. It's it's game week. We, we've got Notre Dame here. You know, this is the first of the three games that Michael Kelly was you know able to you know scrounge up. And once that once that ball's kicked off, I think we can call that as a, a successful game. And uh, there's you know two more games on the back end with a two be determined time. And a quick history: 2011, September 3rd, uh, the Bulls beat Notre Dame uh, 23 to 20, and got the longest football game I've ever watched in my entire life. Uh, two lightning delays, uh, a comeback. I think, you know, current Notre Dame offensive coordinator, Tom Reese, I think turned the ball over like three times in the red zone. I think a couple interceptions in the end zone, the 99-yard, uh, you know, fumble recovery by Kayvon Webster. Uh, and then, you know, unfortunately, the, the next day off this high, uh, Leroy Selman dies. So, it, it, there's a lot of you know history backstory behind uh, this Notre Dame game that the Brian Kelly pitcher that's been you know circulated around the world for the last uh, almost decade. So it's it's going to be going to be interesting. You know that they they're coming off a, a win against Duke that was choppy to say the least, um, but that's kind of how it was with a lot of places uh, going up against you know top tier teams and. You know, former Clemson quarterback Chase Bryce, I think, threw for like 250 yards, but completion percentage was kind of iffy uh, against uh, Notre Dame. But the the, the story of the story of Notre Dame is his quarterback Ian Book, over 3,000 yards passing, 34 touchdowns last year, and then running back Kyron Williams had 203 all-purpose yards last week versus Duke, 93 uh, in the passing game, including a 75-yard catch and run. You know, quickly. You know what? What stands out about Notre Dame that can give USF fits? You know, outside of just probably being vastly superior talent-wise, what else can kind of give the uh, the Bulls some trouble against this Notre Dame team? Uh, I'll start with Seth here. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be their offensive front. They return uh, almost every. They may return. I think they return fifty plus starts from last season. So that coupled with the experience you got returning at quarterback. 
allows you to do some different things. And they had a lot of success just getting in with the offensive line and having two tight ends and moving one of them around and just running the ball down Duke's throat a little bit towards the end of the game. So we may see something similar to that. It's it, They're another one that, like you said, week one, it's a little choppy. It's kind of tough. And they didn't have great conditions either. The field looked a little slick, like it might have rained there. But they didn't look super athletic on either side of the ball. But it might uh, it might be tough to tell with the conditions. But I think the one thing that you got to worry about is that big, good offensive line they have. Hey, I, I had to look up his name because, God, I was going to butcher this. But um, the biggest thing that kind of pops out to me is their, their linebacking core. That was kind of touted as the, the strength of the defense last year graduated two guys and now it's still probably one of the one of the top units for them i'm going to butcher this jeremiah owusu karamoya he's he was kind of slotted into taking over um kind of like a hybrid linebacker uh say drew he's just flies over the field he popped out to me immediately on the tape um that i watched from last week against duke but i mean you're still looking at a, a typical notre dame team it's very, very strong defense uh, across the board. Big defensive linemen, athletic linebackers, and then safeties and corners that can just ball hawk and, and create turnovers and pass breakups all day. So it wasn't as strong of showing. Um, obviously, uh, Chase Bryce uh, kind of pitch and tossed his way down the field uh, here and there, but ultimately it's, it's, a, it's a bend, don't break defense um, a lot of the times for them. So you know they were, they were able to mitigate the amount of damage uh, done ultimately, and you know that led to them soundly winning that game, you know, not, not as devastating a 14 point win, but you know, when you look at the, the, the full picture of it, I mean, Duke wasn't even close to being in that game in the second half. Right. And uh, you know, the, the linebacker you mentioned that uh, Jeremiah, he had a uh, seven and a half tackles, two tacks for loss and uh, a sack as well as a forced fumble last week against uh, the blue devil. So he's definitely got to watch out for interestingly enough, uh, Notre Dame is on a 19 game home winning streak. So, that, you know, the Bulls have a chance to knock off uh, knock off another top-tier team. You know, the Bulls, I believe, are – they're 11 and 28 first-ranked opponents all time, 8 and 11 uh, versus the uh, versus the ACC, which, you know, Notre Dame is is part uh, a part of uh, for this weird, weird season. You know, it, I'd be remiss uh, – I can't believe I missed this at the top. I think we can kind of go on this for, for a little bit. Uh, USF receiving votes in both the coaches and Associated Press Bowl, or uh, the AP and the uh, coaches bowl. I think that's the same thing, right? Woo! Yep. AP the, coaches bowl. Yeah, Amway coaches bowl. I Amway, think oh, okay. Whatever. The media poll and the coaches uh, and the coaches bowl both receiving votes. Which, uh, God bless you. I don't know. I mean, I understand there's only 77 teams, but. I th- this might be the, the power of Jeff Scott more than anything, or you know the, the humor of the the muffed punt for touchdown. Maybe just a little giddy and, and happy about that. But I mean, my lord, that that's that's a bit of a stretch. And but they're receiving votes. It's official. They, you know, it's in the record book as uh, another week of USF receiving votes. Um, while Notre Dame sits uh, seventh in both polls, respectively, because you know they're a top team, and we'll say you know the, the polls have uh, you know taken out the teams that aren't playing right now uh, due to COVID and, and having the season shut down. So everyone kind of got a nice little jump there. I think uh, UCF's number thirteen now, and they haven't played a game yet. Uh, Memphis, uh, I think. Is like 15, Cincinnati's around there, but uh, I believe UCF is the top group of five team. 
uh, ranked right now. But let's kind of let's get dig into the game a little bit here. You know what? There, there's going to be two questions here. You know, one, what is USF's key to just being able to compete in this game? I, you know, in, in a vacuum, fully understanding the the talent discrepancy what is the the key to compete uh, let's start with uh steak here what does usf have to do just to make it respectable it, i mean create turnovers i think is is the first and most obvious key and, and the one that i think is the most likely to happen i, I the secondary we can talk about them all day um between mike Kenton and, and kj sells nick roberts and Bill sanders but you know mikhaila point and Brock Nichols and those guys, it, it seems like there's contrib- contribution regardless across the board uh, from the secondary. And I, I think if anything, you can capitalize on Ian Book maybe not being as confident, um, you know, maybe rattle him a little bit and, you know, create some turnovers via interceptions or, you know, get lucky and catch Antonio Greer or, or Dwayne Bowles off a of blitz and, you know, have a strip sack or something. But ultimately, you're going to have to rattle Ian Book away from you know, throwing these, those deep balls and, and uh, um, uncorking it basically. And then obviously that's going to also kind of come into mitigating their, the running attack. Obviously their, their offensive line is much bigger uh, than, than our defense line and our front seven is going to be. So, you know, finding ways to, you know, create havoc that way. But I, is, is luck a factor? Can we put luck in there? You know, sometimes wind blows the wrong way and, you know, defender doesn't catch the ball a certain way and you know, he's out of bounds or something, but I think more or less, and I'd hate to put it this way, it's going to come down to Notre Dame making more mistakes um, and USF capitalizing on those mistakes. And then offensively, it's running the ball and, and find some sort of consistency in the passing game to convert third downs. Seth, what, what, do, what do the Bulls have to do to compete? They'll have, I think, a key for them. And I think the only way they win, or I shouldn't say that, but I think they definitely lose if they are not the team with the most explosive plays at the end of the game. If they've generated more explosives and they've given up, I think that gives them a chance to win. I don't think they're good enough on offense to sustain drives. So to score points, they're going to have to generate explosive plays or they could generate explosive plays in the return game or, you know, uh, like Steve said, turnovers will be key. And then if you get a few turnovers, maybe Tommy Reese starts having like Vietnam-style flashbacks and he gets thrown off his game, so... It could have a, a multiple effect that ripples across the entire game. Yeah, you know, I think I'm I'm looking at the weather right now. It's supposed to be you know 63 and sunny, so I I don't think a, a lightning delay and, and rainstorm is in our future. You know, unfortunately, to just cause even more chaos. But I think you know to compete, Steve said, you know, get a couple turnovers. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Jeff Scott said this today that he told the team, you don't have to be perfect, but you've got to play very, very well to beat this team. And, you know, this is a, this is a team that can realistically, you know, play for a national championship this year. And you, you can only, you know, miss so many times before you're just completely out of the game. Now to win. Now, what, what is the, if you, is there something that you can pin down? All right. You, this is how USF wins the game. Can you lay it out for me? I'll, I'll leave it open to anyone at this point. How does USF win this game? Okay, I got an idea here because this is one thing that I was looking at. So Notre Dame's got Wake Forest, Florida State, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech before their big, in theory, showdown with Clemson. Now, that's a long time before you get there, but it is against USF. 
They kind of showed this a little bit versus Duke. They played a little vanilla. If they come out and try to, quote-unquote, use the old sandbag approach and just try to control clock and just use basic plays to, to try to just control the game, and USF does something similar to what they did when they went up before then, lots of turnovers, lots of explosive plays, maybe some trick plays thrown in there. Maybe they can control the clock because they're running game. They do this, you know, as we talk about new form of triple option, let's say. It's got to be all, all, all of those put into a pot to have, have a chance here. Now, at the end of the day, when you're losing, you try to win the game regardless. But it's very possible, like you said, Tommy Reese could go back to old ways or possibly not have that type of thing drawn up yet. And you frustrate Ian Book and you, for whatever reason, get, you know, you get Johnny Ford and Kelly Joyner and Beatty and then maybe you get some, uh, s- some other guys on explosive play- plays just getting quote-unquote cheap touchdowns and then all of a sudden you get them down on their heels. That's the only way I see it. But I think that offensive line is just going to be too much for that for our defensive line, unless Glenn Spencer's got some, uh, I don't know, got some pixie dust in his bag of tricks. But that's the only way I could see it. This is going to sound like a spicy take, but I say uh, you make Ian Book beat you. Don't let them run the ball. If you stop the run, their receivers aren't quite what they've had in the past. They don't have the same kind of NFL-level tight ends and receivers they've had the past few years. Stop the run, make him throw to beat you. You're putting your strength on their strength, or uh, probably the strength's probably running the ball. So your strength is probably your defensive back. So if you can stop the run, make them throw, I think that probably gives you the best shot to slow them down. And then if they don't score a bunch, then all you need is a couple explosive plays. Could be a punt block, could be a punt return, kickoff return, something like that. But I think you, if you can stop the run on defense, then I think you probably give yourself the, your best shot. Because if you just let them roll roll you all night, it's going to be a long night because they'll just stick with it. They tell me, you know, Michael, there's no Michael Floyd that's going to, you know, still get his, you know, 150 yards. and Not, not from what I saw. But, I, again, it's, it's hard to say. But they didn't have – they didn't, they had a similar problem. They didn't have, I don't think they had to pass over 20 yards against Duke. So they kind of had a similar problem USF had. They didn't generate any explosive pass plays. Uh, they have a couple tight ends that are pretty good, I think, but I don't know if any of them are like Komet, who they just had last year, or some of the guys they've had in the past. And the Notre Dame people are kind of hoping to find a receiver, and I, nobody showed themselves last week. Now, maybe somebody will come out and play out of their mind this week, but I think mm-hmm. your best chance is to say, all right, come out and play, basically. Your you're, you're guys against our best players, which are defensive backs. And, uh, you know, to that point, uh, the, the only pass over, you know, 20 yards was uh, Kyron Williams uh, kind of catch and run for 75, yeah, but no one back. else. Yeah. No receiver, I don't think, caught a pass over 20. No. And, you know, it's funny. Tyler, uh, I think it was Tyler Efert was was there at Notre Dame. I think he had like six catches that first game, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Man, I may be wrong. Did he, went to, he went to Notre Dame, right? He was Notre Dame, guys. Okay, so that was definitely him then. Uh, in that first matchup in 2011, and he's, he kind of turned into a pretty pretty great tight end as well. So, and, you know, if you're telling me that you know USF doesn't uh, won't have to match up against you know the skill position talent that uh, of a Michael Floyd, then I'm all for it. You know, what USF needs to do to to win havoc, you got to create havoc, right? Uh, tackles for loss, make them as I said, mentioned, make them make them throw to beat you. I am petrified of Kyron Williams. 
I, I feel like he's like Shady McCoy with like it, it's literally every single running back USF ever faced in the Big East. That's like like you're gonna get flashbacks to that Shady, uh, Dion Lewis, Ray. Like you're gonna get shades to that. He's gonna get his. There's no doubt in my mind. He's gonna be over 100 yards because that's just the kind of talent that he has. But if you can kind of curtail that. I mean, Sierra Wood went over 100 yards. Uh, or yeah, Sierra Wood in in that game, and, and you know the Bulls still won. But, multiple turnovers i think their win expectancy was like one percent just due to everything else you gotta create havoc you gotta muck it up you know as best as you can uh i think i think jeff scott may take a little bit more uh take some more chances this week than maybe he would in a a regular game week you know i I know they punted uh i think it was like fourth and four uh they called a timeout and decided to punt instead of going for it i think you see him going for it just to try to keep the ball again and you know, with the, the kicking situation being what it is, and it's been it's been over a year now that USF has uh, made a field goal over forty yards. It, it could be a long time coming. Uh, unsure of the status of Jared Sackett and the twelve unavailables that missed the game on Saturday. We'll find out on Thursday for that. But I mean, it, Notre Dame's got a good kicker, Jonathan Norder, a uh, very good kicker for Notre Dame. He's two for two uh, in field goal attempts in the season opener and connected on all three PATs. He connected on 85% of his field goals last year, uh, fifth best by a, an Irish kicker since 1996. Coincidentally, the year I came to America. He scored 108 points for the Irish last year, a single-season record by any Notre Dame kicker. Uh, he topped Bucks fans. You'll remember this name, Kyle Brzez, uh, Brenza's uh, 2013 mark of 98. So it's if you're... You know, I think inside 40 yards, in you know, 45 to 40 yards, I think Notre Dame's pretty confident that they'll be able to make these kicks. It, on the flip side, USF's going to have to take a little bit more chances to to get the job done here. And, and you know, the, the Bulls were 0-2 against uh, – or on fourth down last week. I think there were 5 of uh, 12 on third down. You've got to be able to sustain drives, get those passes connected for, for USF to have a shot here. I, I think, I mean, is there anything else that you guys kind of want to make sure we co- we cover here this week? You know, it, it's tough on, on a Tuesday when the, the, the injury status and whatnot isn't until Thursday to, to really kind of delve into it. Um, Who do you think starting a quarterback? Mm-hmm. Same, same, same rollout as week one or a little bit different? I think it may be the same rollout. You know, I, you know, for some reason I don't, and I, this is completely just on gut on what I saw on Saturday. It feels to me like they trust Jordan to throw the ball a little bit more than they do Noah right now. But I mean, Noah's electric on the ground. You saw, you, you've seen it. We've all seen it. Um, he's going to be a vital piece of this offense, but I think you may want to see what Jordan can do. Maybe the first couple of series before cycling in Noah and then, you know, if Cade's back from uh, his undisclosed reason for missing the game, throw him out there, see what happens. But I think I think Jordan gets to start, gets a couple series, see what happens. I mean, if it's the tire fire the first couple series, you might as well – you're going to be bringing in Noah that third series anyway just in case things get a little uh, haywire and, you know, you've got a turnover, scoop and score, something like that. Uh, but I think it's Jordan for now. I, I agree. I don't, I don't see a re- – I mean – Jeff Scott kind of said they're playing with house money. So take that with what you will with what they're going to be doing play call wise. But I, I think they're using this almost as a like experimental game, kind of pulling a few 
plays out of the back of the playbook and see what they can do. I think Jordan's going to end up starting. I think Noah's going to probably play a couple drives and, you know, depending on who, if, you know, if Jordan ends up playing super well and we're actually in the game, I think he stays in. Uh, if, you know, it's a crap shoot and we're already down 14, nothing, I think you might as well put Noah in. Um, and then, you know, if it's 35, nothing and you got nothing else to lose. Yeah. Throw in, throw in Marsh or throw in Fortin or whoever else traveled Shoot print, put Brandon here in and see what happens. But ultimately I just, I think you, you don't have much to lose this game. So why kind of hamstring yourself to only limit yourself to try to play Jordan? If, if, if that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. I think go with the hot hand theory, right? Mm-hmm. Like get them both in early, see if one of them takes over. I would I love thought, to I thought Noah Johnson really opened up the run game a good bit last week when he came in. And he adds a little different element. He's a better runner than Jordan is. But like you said, they did seem to throw the ball a little bit more at Jordan. So we'll see. It could have been just, again, all right, what can these guys do in these situations? All right, now let's roll it all out this week. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how different – like we talked about last week, that interesting thing will be what's different from week one to week two. We're, we're about to find out. So I think that'll be kind of interesting to see they do things different schematically. If guys play different mounts, it'll be interesting just for that reason alone, much less playing traditional power like Notre Dame. I would love to see them flip it up if they're going to p- play them both, start Noah this time around as the opener and then move to the other direction, thinking that just stay on the ground. I don't know if uh, it seemed when I was watching, they were sticking more to the running game, especially later when the game was mostly, I know the announcers kept saying Citadel was in this, but it, it didn't seem like defensively the Bulls were letting them do anything. I, it just felt like, hey, we're not going to throw the ball as much because we don't want to create our own mistakes. And who knows what having the right side of your offensive line completely out and with the backups in, how that affected them. And I kind of like that about Charlie Weiss Jr. If you saw that and said, hey, this is what we're going to do, and they got some exotic with the run game. I was really impressed with how fast the running backs looked. I mean, none of them really hit the Jets in the open field to score, but they all seemed to hit the hole or hit the, hit the edge fast. You can start Noah and then start kind of getting some sort of running game going and then swap back the other direction if that's the plan. That would be a very interesting way to start just to see what it looks like flipped. But that's a... I was very interested to see Marsh start too. That was just my start, my, my thoughts there. Sorry, I meant Marsh play. I was interested to see that he actually played that last couple series. I'll stop Marsh, see what happens. Throw, hmm. throw, throw a true freshman in at, at South Bend and give him the experience. Hey, I worked for Georgia Tech. I did. I did. Oh, man. <sighs> poor Lemon Booty. Poor, poor Lemon Booty. Yeah, and, you know, a lot has been kind of made of uh, Johnny Ford's unavailability to to be nice uh, over the last year and it seems you know jeff scott said said uh, this week he's he's really kind of gotten on the straight and narrow and it's you know it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing it's a constant you know work in progress and he understands that and i think johnny ford's kind of taken that to heart uh and it, it showed in his his play this week um I know. I think he posted something on on social media. I mean, I I can't keep up, but he posted something like he should. He just it feels nice to be back at running back. Feels comfortable. So it's it's good good to see that he's comfortable and excited to be in this offense. I think I think there's still a lot more from him that we can see. I think there's a lot more from Darren Felix, the Oregon transfer, that we can see. I know uh, he was nursing a hamstring injury and didn't want to get. They didn't want to push him too much. That's just another dynamic back. Brian Batie looked fantastic in his three carries. Um, 
what kind of stood out to me is that the guys were able to find the hole and make the jump cut to the open field and not kind of run into offensive linemen or just run into the tackle. They were able to find the spots to pick. I know there was a, a, a it seemed like a rotating door of, you know, 15 yard gains, so nice little jump cuts uh, for this offense. So that's another you know dynamic piece. I think uh, we can't take too much away from this week. Uh, just do, I think just due to the talent gap, you know, if they win, okay, we are a lot better than we are, but it's not a, okay, they got blown out. That's the end of the world kind of thing. It's like, this is going to happen. You know, this is, you know, year one for Jeff Scott. We need to set the right expectation, but good God almighty, it was nice to win. Uh, and, and, and with that, let's get to the predictions here, folks. Uh, last week, uh, I think, Steve, you said 56 to 7. Yep. You were close on half of it. Yep. Pretty good. Seth, you said 38-14. Pretty close. Pretty close. Vito, you said 35-14. Pretty close. I said uh, 21-17. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I was pretty pretty close, too. I mean, Vito nailed the margin of victory, I'm just going to say. I was going to say, I got the spread right. <laughs> I guess, I mean, it's It's, it's not his fault it was rainy. <laughs> So, without further ado, let's go. Let's go this week. Um, uh, let me get my my piece of paper real quick so I can track it and embarrass you guys, embarrass myself uh, with with how wrong we are. Um, Seth, let's start with you. Prediction for the week. Uh, I can only go off of what I've seen. I think they're going to do some different stuff, but uh, just based on what I saw last week, uh, I'm going to say Notre Dame twenty-eight to ten. Okay. Steve, you know, confidence is a brash thing. I, uh, I, I think, I, I think I speak for everyone where Jeff Scott needs that pinnacle victory to really boost him into the, uh, into the pedestal that we all know he can be. So I'm going to go with a very bold upset. USF wins 56 to seven. Notre Dame doesn't score until the fourth quarter. Okay. Oh, we're doing this bit, aren't we? <laughs> Vito. I think, I think Notre Dame will do what they need to do. Notre Dame 35, USF 14. All right. And uh, that leaves me, huh? Well, uh, I'm going to go Notre Dame 42, USF 10. I don't, I just, I don't see the off. I don't think the offense clicks. Uh, I think the, the 10,000 fans in the stands in South Bend kind of, if the, the starters aren't back, I think it gets to the, the, the young guys who are starting, you know, you got a brand new center and, you know, that that center is such a key piece to an offensive line to the offense. Uh, we may see some poor snaps, low snaps. I, I think if, if it was a full stadium and these guys were forced to play, I think I think you would kind of be uh, on that boat. But at ten thousand fans, they'll still make some noise. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame forty-two to ten. It'll be interesting. I think that's it for this week. Be sure to check out the dailystampede.com for all, your, all the most up-to-date USF Bulls information. Check us out on Instagram at the Daily Stampede. Uh, we're really going to blow that out this year. If they let me into the stadium. If they let you into the stadium. Well, you're smelly. <laughs> so. you know, there's a big gap between Seth and me and then like the next people down like to the, our far right. I think they are just messing with you this week, man. Like There are some people like, you're not coming to this game, but whatever. <laughs> I counted. Uh, there were five photographers on the sideline. 
Five. That makes Five. sense. On the box and use a use a zoom lens. You'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Check us out on Twitter at Stampede SBN. Uh, I'm at Bulls Nathan SBN. Steeg is at Steeg. Robert Steeg life. Uh, Seth is at Seth Barnador and Anthony is at Anthony Vito underscore. So let's uh, let's go Bulls. Have fun. Have fun in South Bend. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the cooler weather. And just enjoy your time. USF Bulls. It's going to be fine. We'll be all right. But for at least today and up until Saturday at 2.30 on USA Network, your USF Bulls are undefeated 1-0. First win in 322 days. Uh, by the time you hear it, it'll be 326 days. I had a back count. But still. Um, yeah, go Bulls. We'll talk to y'all later. Go Bulls. Do the thing. This game doesn't matter unless we win. Then it totally matters. Go Bulls.